Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Alright guys, today what I'm going to do is unpack a little more two things from Exodus chapter 3 that we only touched on last Sunday. The first thing has to do with the name that God uses when he meets Moses at the burning bush. Now remember, I said that the name was hard to translate. It's translated either I am who I am or I will be who I will be. But let me share a little bit more about that name. Up until this moment in Exodus chapter 3, the name for God that was used in the earlier chapters of the book of Exodus was Elohim. Now, Elohim is the generic name for God. It means divine being. And it refers to the God of the Hebrews, but not exclusively to the God of the Hebrews. It's a word that could be used for other gods as well. And it was used for other gods in the ancient Near East. But this word, translated I am who I am, that word was different. And the consonants are... And of course, I'm translating it into English. But the consonants for this word are Y-H-W-H. So they spell Yahweh. Maybe you've heard of that word before. The problem is, is we don't actually know if that's the right pronunciation of this name, but we we think it is. The reason we don't is because the Hebrews knew that this was God's personal, intimate covenantal name. This was the name that God used with his people when he'd enter into a deep and personal relationship with them. And so Moses and his descendants knew that this was the most holy and the most sacred name possible. And they were very, very careful about how they used that name. By the time of the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I don't know if you know this, but there's about 400 years that happen between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament with the birth of Jesus. During that 400 years, the Jews came to believe that God's name was so sacred that they shouldn't use it at all anymore. And so they refused to pronounce it. They refused to spell it. They refused to write it. Every time this word came up in the Old Testament scrolls they were reading, they would replace it with the word Adonai, which means Lord, or they'd use the word Hashem, which means the name. Okay. Now, nothing really changes until we reach about 600 AD during the Middle Ages. This is the time when the Masoretes, a a special group of very honorable Hebrew scribes, set out to add a vowel system to the original Hebrew text. Maybe you didn't know this, and why would you? But Hebrew is a funny language in that it doesn't contain vowels in the written word. It only has consonants. Now, generally speaking, words without vowels are pretty much impossible to pronounce, right? So, The question is, how do Jews know how to pronounce the words in their language? And the answer is oral tradition. It gets passed down from generation to generation to generation and so on. But 
what happens to the language if something happens to the chain of people passing down the pronunciation of that language? That's a huge problem. And the Masoretes set out to fix that problem. And so what they did was, was they carefully rewrote the Old Testament text on parchment, consonant by consonant, not changing a thing. And then they included the vowels below each Hebrew word so that you knew how to pronounce the word. But here's the thing. When they got to the word for Yahweh, remember, Y-H-W-H, they put the vowels for Adonai in there because the name was so sacred and those vowels were basically E-O-A. Now, centuries later, Gentile Christians are translating the Hebrew Old Testament into English and they come across this word Y-H-W-H with the letters E-O-A below it and they just drop the vowels into that word. So you get you guessed it, Y-E-H-O-W-A-H, which is pronounced Jehovah. That's how we got the word and the name Jehovah, which made its way into the King James Bible in 1611. But that word isn't actually in the Bible at all. The word is Yahweh. In any case, when you read your Bible today, say the NIV translation or the ESV or whatever, typically you'll see the word the Lord and Lord will be in all capital letters. Whenever you see that, you're seeing the word Yahweh, the personal covenantal name of God. Okay, that's pretty cool, right? I I mean, I think it's pretty cool. I hope you kind of think it's cool too. But I'm gonna shift gears right now because I wanna talk a little bit more about that mysterious figure that was introduced to us on Sunday known as the angel of the Lord. When Moses recounts his encounter with God at the burning bush, he says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Who in the world is this figure, the angel of the Lord? Well, we know that the angel of the Lord isn't just an angel like any other angel. It's not It's not like an angel like Michael, the angel Michael, or the angel Gabriel, because the definite article, the, makes that plain. The angel is somehow different and set apart from these other angels. This angel, the angel of the Lord, he pops up in a number of different places in the Old Testament, and sometimes with that name, sometimes without that name. But in each instance, the angel of the Lord shows a couple unique characteristics. One is the angel of the Lord speaks as God. Two, he identifies himself with God. And three, he exercises the responsibilities of God. In several of these appearances, though uh, those who saw the angel of the Lord, they, they actually feared for their lives because they said that they had seen the Lord. So they themselves were identifying the angel of the Lord with the Lord himself. Because when other angels would speak, they would say, this is what the Lord says. Gabriel, for example, speaks for the Lord when he goes to visit Mary and Joseph. But when the angel of the Lord speaks, it is the Lord. What commentators have shown 
is this is an incredible mystery because the angel of the Lord seems to be a figure that's different from God and yet at the same time actually is God. I mentioned him on Sunday. Alec Matir in his commentary on Exodus points out that this is the way that God actually solves a huge problem. Matir says this, quote, the angel is revealed as a merciful accommodation of God, whereby the Lord can be present among a sinful people when were he to go with them, go with them himself, his presence would consume them, end quote. Remember, God is holy, <laughs> his people are not. And if they get too close to his holiness, they're dead. That's why when Moses asked God to show him his glory, you remember that on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, God asked, or Moses asked God to show him his glory. God says, I can't do it. If I do it, it will kill you. What I can do is I'll give you a filtered, a kind of toned down version of my glory only. And he shows Moses his back. Matir is saying that over and over in the Old Testament, when God comes to bring his presence to his people in mercy and blessing, not to consume them, not to judge them, but in mercy and blessing, he does it through the angel of the Lord. And you know, one of the most moving places where this happens is with the story of Hagar. You may remember this story. Abraham and Sarah, their husband and wife, and Sarah is barren, and she's getting older and older. She hasn't had any children. She doesn't see herself having any children. And so she gives her fertile, young Egyptian slave girl to Hagar, to Abraham, and says, sleep with her. Abraham does this, and she gets pregnant, and she has a son. But when Hagar has the son, everything starts to go south in this family. Hagar is vain and proud, and she taunts Sarah, you old bat, you dried up old whatever. We don't know exactly what she taunted, how she taunted, but she taunted. She said, I'm young, I'm fertile, I have a boy, you're old, you're infertile, you have no children. And Sarah is furious about this. And so she goes to Abraham and she says, send Hagar and the child out into the desert, which of course means that they would be left for dead. And Abraham, even though he's unhappy and he's wringing his hands over this decision, he basically does it. Now, listen. They are all victims. But they are also all villains. There are no good guys in this story at all. Hagar, she's vain and proud. Sarah is petty and cruel. And Abraham is a huge coward. And Nevertheless, Hagar goes out there into the desert with, desert with her boy and they run out of water and she sees him dying and she lays her boy down. He's rejected by his father, dying of thirst. She lays him down under the shade of a bush and she walks away to sit down some distance away because she says, I can't bear to see my own son die. And then the angel of the Lord appears. And if you read the text, you see that when the angel speaks, the Lord speaks, and when the Lord speaks, the angel speaks, just like in the story of the burning bush. And the angel of the Lord says, Fear not, Hagar. I have heard the boy's cry. He has cried out. I have heard him crying. I'm going to save him and rescue him 
and I'm going to make him a great nation. The angel of the Lord appears in mercy and blessing to Hagar. Now, how, how can God do that? Hagar, Sarah, Abraham, none of them deserves God's blessing. They've all been behaving terribly. They don't deserve the presence of God. How can the presence of God come into their lives with blessing? Well, it's through the angel. Because the angel is the second person of the Trinity. The angel is Jesus before his incarnation. Just connecting it to the Hagar story, remember years later, there's another little boy born to a poor woman who lived a life of rejection and at the end of his life, he was abandoned by his father too. He was dying of thirst and he cried out. But that time, God didn't answer. You know why God didn't answer? He didn't answer because even though Hagar and Abraham and Sarah deserved abandonment, not blessing, Jesus Christ on the cross got the abandonment they deserved. And even though you and I deserve God's abandonment rather than blessing, on the cross, Jesus Christ got the abandonment we deserve so that we could get the blessing he deserved. He cried out and nobody answered so that when we cry out, even though we don't deserve to be answered, we will be answered. Jesus is the angel. And did you know that the appearances of the angel of the Lord stop after the incarnation of Christ? Angels are mentioned numerous times in the New Testament, but the angel of the Lord is never mentioned once in the New Testament after the birth of Jesus. He's the mediator of God's grace and mercy. And the only one we need. I hope you find that interesting and helpful as you're, we're learning how to read the Bible together. That's it for this episode, guys. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye.